quit being the world's best kept secret. Your time is now. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we interview incredible guests around the globe and bring them here on this platform to share with you, talking about topics of life, leadership, and business. Today, I have Holly Mignosi who I got to meet at Steve Ulsher's new media summit in San Diego in September, 2019. And did we have some fun? So here's a little bit about Holly. Speaker, storyteller, and body language expert, Holly Mignosi helps speakers and experts increase their influence, impact through the art of hypnotic body language and the neuroscience of storytelling. With a combined 30 years of experience as a celebrity modeling and acting coach, fitness trainer, and public speaking coach, Holly has helped over 250,000 people embody their message with presence, power, and passion. Holly imparts experts with proven charisma skills, storytelling techniques, and uncovering hidden talents, tapping into their signature star power on stage, and her techniques help clients land prestigious speaking gigs, powerful partnerships, and global connections. Holly is the CEO and founder of the Dynamic Dream Life Group, Inc. She holds multiple certifications in mindset, physicality specialties such as neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, hypnotic presentation skills, and other long words that sound really cool. <laughs> so I want to invite you and welcome you to the show, Holly. I'm so grateful that, to have you here today. Thank you so much, Deborah. I am so excited to be here. It is an absolute honor. Thank you. Well, I'm going to dive right into the questions because I know we could have had a whole side conversation before we jumped into our conversation. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about storytelling primarily and letting people know that, you know, storytelling and presence is really, really a hot topic these days. And I'd love for you to touch on, you know, what is it that makes a story so great? Hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, my passion, storytelling and body language and storytelling is so powerful to me, especially in today's online marketing presence where there's so much white noise, where each of us has our own expertise and somebody else does too in the same industry. How do we get our name out there? How do we stand out? How do we show who we are, our character, our skills really quick? And our story is one of those ways that we can do that. It helps us gain that know, like, and trust factor that we all hear so much about. But when you tell a story the right way, which I hope today I'll be able to share the five phases of powerful storytelling with your audience. And when we share our story the right way, we get to position two really powerful things. One is our vulnerability and two, our credibility. 
And when you have the two together, side by side, like beautiful bookends, people just fall in love with you. They fall in love with you like your best friend because we are opening the kimono, so to speak, sharing with people who we are from the inside out. And it builds trust. I can't tell you how many times people have said, I knew I wanted to work with you simply based off your story. It's powerful. And the story, like when you talk about that credibility and trust, it also adds in that no like and trust factor that you're not better than me. Mm, absolutely. So you're talking about positioning and I call that posturing. So we have three postures. There's superior, equal, and inferior. And we can float in between any of those three at any time. And when we share our vulnerability, we're kind of taking like an inferior position. Like this is kind of where I screwed up. <laughs> this is like the mess. And then when we get to share how we climbed out of that pit, that's where we get to shine in our credibility. And one of the biggest mistakes that I see speakers or experts or people online making is one of two mistakes. They either tell a story that only shares the vulnerability because they're trying to get that connection, or they tell a story that primarily highlights their credibility. With Oftentimes that can sound just like ego and, oh, I'm so great. And, mm -hmm. and that's important too, but we really need to have both. And I find that people don't share their signature story or share some of those Hmm, darker moments, I guess we could say, because they don't have a structure. They don't know how to do it in a way that positions their vulnerability and their credibility so they can maintain both. So in what ways can people share and create that structure to the story and not get lost in the emotion of being vulnerable? Hmm. So the emotion is really important. We don't want to lose all of our emotion for our own story, our own passion, and what we've been through. There's something called mirror neurons, and perhaps you've heard of it, or maybe your listeners have heard of it. But in case anyone hasn't, mirror neurons are the part of our brain that scientists have found it's a part of our brain that when we watch someone do something, our brain interprets it as we're doing it too. It's what makes athletes so great. They watch someone on the court dribbling a basketball. We were just talking about the Kings before this. They're watching someone drib dribbling a basketball. They see the throw and we feel excited as if we're making that shot too. And scientists believe that that's also how mother nature, how birds learn to fly, how cheetahs learn, you know, cubs learn to catch that first kill. So the mirror neurons are really important when we see someone on stage like a speaker and they're sharing their story and there's some emotion to it, it taps into our emotion. And that's really important because it allows us to feel. And the speakers that allow us to feel, those are the ones we remember. But I think your question is so important because it's how do we make sure we're not falling apart? How do we make sure that we're not crying on stage? And there's a certain structure that you can use in your story that will allow you to move through those moments so that you can highlight the pit, I call it, the breakthrough, and then you move into your lessons. And that shift between moving from the pit to the breakthrough to your lessons allows you to shift from the stories about me to the stories about my breakthrough, to now I'm sharing the stories really about you. Here's right. how you can get out of the pit if you're in the pit right now. Let me tell you how I got out. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those steps? 
Yeah. So I shared a little bit just now. So here's the five steps of powerful storytelling, specifically as it relates to your signature story. So if you're listening to this, you may want to grab a pencil and paper. Now would be a great time. So the first one is the call. And the call is that part of your story where you're giving the setup just a little bit, a little bit of the background, a little bit of this is why this is important to me. So in the call, there could be two types of calls. The first type of call is I have a dream. I have this dream that I want to be um, an entrepreneur and be a millionaire, for example. And so it's an inner calling to be something of greatness. And that sets you up on a journey, on a path. The second kind of call is when you're kind of born into a situation or a situation happens externally to you. You didn't necessarily choose it. That could be a situation where perhaps you were born with some physical challenges. Perhaps you were born into a family where there was alcohol or addiction. So these are some external challenges and it's still a calling. It's still kind of the setup as to how you ended up on this journey. So you give a little bit of the setup, a little bit of the call. The second step is the pit. And the pit is where you move right into, I found myself in this place where I didn't have answers. Maybe you lost a million dollars. Maybe you lost your husband or you lost a significant other, a relationship, or you lost your health. It typically relates to one of three categories. And it's either health, wealth, or relationship. It's usually one of those. So you're describing that moment of darkness. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. And then this third step is the breakthrough. And that's where you, the character in our story, finds this moment of clarity. And it's generally an internal clarity. Like we're thinking something different. There's a different thought process. There's some kind of wisdom that suddenly is bestowed upon us, either internally from a divine being or from a guide. Oftentimes in movies, there'll be a guide that comes along this hero's journey and kind of teaches almost like Karate Kid. Did you see the movie Karate Kid, you know, back in the, gosh, was that the 80s? And then it was remade again. Yeah, there you go. Wax on, wax on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's a guide that comes along to give us this information that helps us make this breakthrough. And that's a quick pivot. So we're moving very quickly from the pit to a breakthrough, but nothing happens yet in the breakthrough. It's just like a moment, a flash of insight until we get to step three. And that's when we try something different. And those are the lessons that we've learned. We realize, okay, we're in this pit, a metaphorical pit, and there's this little kind of stepping stone here. I'm going to climb on this step and see if I can get my way out. Okay, that worked. And then the second time I did the second thing and I climbed on this step and it worked and I got a little further out. And then there was this third thing that I did that got me all the way to the pit. And now here I am standing on top in victory. So the fourth phase are your lessons. When you begin to share with your audience the things you learned, it shifts from the story is about me to now the story is about you. And how can I help you get out of your pit? Mm -hmm. And then the fifth phase is the pinnacle. And that's when you, you, know, you started on a call, then you went down to a pit through a breakthrough, you climbed out and now you're at this peak and you're higher than you were in the beginning of the journey, so to speak. You have a better view and your life is very different than it was when you were at the pit. So you get to share with your audience if you're in the pit, 
and you do these things, now you can end up here with me where I have amazing health and vitality, or I've gone from rags to riches. We all know that story. Or I was really lonely, but now I found the love of my life and I'm gallivanting all around the globe with my soulmate. So you get to kind of share, this is what you can have if you do these things. So it almost sounds like the movie scripts, right? That's right. That's right. Very much so. And sometimes things can go in different order. So for, for us, for the beginner, I recommend to stay in that order. And I specifically kind of designed it to look almost like a roller coaster ride. So if you drew a straight line, you're kind of coming in, then it dips down and then you kind of come up and you're up at the top. Yes. Sometimes movies will switch the order. Sometimes they'll even start out in the pit. You know, the character is like, oh my gosh, there's this awful right. thing that's happening. And then they'll kind of go back in time and show you the call. So there's all kinds of different ways you can move it around. But yeah, you're right. It's like a movie. Our life is a movie. Yeah, just the script or I'm thinking of a Nicholas Sparks book, perhaps. You know, how the unfolding of everything that occurs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so when people put together their signature story and work with you, what do you do to help draw them into being able to expose those emotions like, like you were talking about? Because you want the audience to experience emotions. I know recently I did my uh, first TEDx talk. And as I was sharing the story that I was sharing, I watched in the audience to pick up the feedback whether or not they were receiving it, right? So I was sharing my call. So I'm going to break it through, you know, the pit of not knowing the how. Yeah. Um, the breakthrough is, you know, realizing that there was all these signs around me to figure out the how. But I was watching for the parts of the story to see, did they get emotional to the point that some of them would have tears? Mm. Did they laugh at the parts where I purposely thought it would be the punchline? Mm. And one of the punchlines was, is, we had a garage full of 1300 shoe boxes decorated in Christmas wrap. And my daughter saying, don't open the garage when the bus comes, I will take the front door because they're going to think we're a bunch of hoarders. <laughs> right. So yeah. I was watching, were people going to laugh at that? Hmm. Right. To see if what I created was hitting those emotional points to feed me, giving me that feedback based on their reaction. Because otherwise, when you're watching the audience, and I'd love for your input on this, when you're watching the audience, you sometimes just see them staring at you or sometimes <laughs> there's a nod, but not necessarily emotion on their face. And you're like, okay, I don't know how this is going. So what do you do when you're on stage presenting this story using this structure to get feedback from your audience to know if you're on the right track? Yeah, great question. And you did absolutely the right thing. I want to give you kudos for that. You were, number one, paying attention. You were paying attention to your audience, not just yourself, not in your own head, not about your own story, but you were really watching for that feedback. So you did a brilliant job, first of all, congratulations, paying attention and watching for that feedback. There are occasions, let me just kind of pre-frame with this. There are occasions where we can't see our audience. There are occasions where the lights are very bright or the stage is a bit high if you're on stage, or if you're on video, for example, how you can't see sometimes your audience if you're doing a Facebook Live. But let's talk about just the stage, for example. If you can see them, as you said, pay attention, watch for that feedback, 
And I would suggest to find one person, connect with one person in the audience. And that could be someone right in front and really hold that eye contact, make that eye contact until you finish that complete thought, that complete sentence, that complete scene, even for example. And then watch for that. And you'll feel it. You can, when you make that connection with that one person in the audience, you'll start to nod at the same time. You'll start to lean in. They'll lean in. And you can almost sometimes feel even like a heat. Sometimes I'll feel like my body will kind of really heat up when I get that connection. And then move to the other side of the room. Move to the right. Find someone there that you make that eye contact with and connect. And then move again to the left and then move as far back as you can into the back rows so that you're connecting not just with the first five people mm -hmm. seated up front, but really that your message is getting all the way to the back, the person in the very back of the room. Mm -hmm. If you can see them, their eyes, if you can connect with them, what this brilliant thing happens where five people deep, 10 people, people deep beyond them will see that you are staring at them and it will fire that one person's mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. And then the people sitting next to them, their mirror neurons will get fired right. and will have this rippling effect to everyone in the audience. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember I was only about 20, I don't know, maybe 27, 28 years old. I was in Hawaii and I was at one of my first Tony Robbins events. And something happened where my particular group, they kind of put you in groups of, I don't know, maybe there was about 40 or 50 people in our group. My group got to go to the very front, the very front. And there were, I don't know, 3,000, kind of a smaller group compared to what he does now, but maybe three yeah. or 4,000 people in the audience. And there was a moment for maybe about a 10, 15 minute moment where he kept talking to me like right to me wow. and making our contact. And I think I was maybe like in the second or third row and everyone next to me kept going, like elbowing me. <laughs> He's talking to you. He's looking at you. I'm like, I know, <laughs> but everyone next to me, it's really powerful rippling effect. Mm -hmm. And the truth is we all can have that impact. We all can have that influence if we just pay attention and give someone else our attention. So what if someone said to you, you know what, my story is not that important. It's, it doesn't have anything that's going to transform anyone. What would you say to them? Mm. I would challenge them to really dig deep. And I don't mean dig deep as in to find a challenging moment. Some of the best stories are not the ones where someone fought off a shark, although that's very dramatic and it's very memorable. But how many of us have had that experience? Mm -hmm. So it's not very relatable. You know, it's not like you can say, if you ever get in a situation where you're going to, where you're with a shark, here's the three things I did. <laughs> right, right. So I would encourage that person to realize that what is ordinary to us is extraordinary to somebody else. Yeah. Because oftentimes our audience is finding us when they're in that pit. And that pit, again, could be something very simple, such as, being very introverted, overcoming shyness. Yeah. It could be something as simple as depression. Now, not easy, but it's not, it's not 
dramatic, so to speak, mm -hmm. that you just couldn't get out of bed for the day. Now, right. maybe it was a few months or a year. That's much more dramatic. But right. it could feel that way sometimes to someone. A couple days or weeks could feel like it's a year. Yeah. So those moments, even though they're ordinary, the fact that you're sharing them makes it extraordinary. So really look, I mean, and I have clients that have stories of being raped and coming back and being healthy and forgiving that person. Mm -hmm. I have someone who, a, a client who died and came back and mm -hmm. has the memory of what she saw. Wow. And those are pretty extraordinary stories. I have a client that lost her whole life savings, millions of dollars, and earned it all back. And those are pretty extraordinary. And then I have the story of someone who simply had a very devastating breakup. And I think that's very relatable. We've all had times mm -hmm. where we lost love. And her story is extraordinary. So it really is the full spectrum and I would say each of us has our own superhero story. And it doesn't have to be a tragic story for people to pay attention to. Correct. Correct. Sometimes the most relatable are the ones that have the most influence because we can all use that in our life. Yeah. And when you're saying that, one of the stories that comes to my mind that's not uncommon when you're in a public place, the grocery store or in the mall when a child has a temper tantrum. And I can see that anguish of the parent's face, whether it be a mom or a dad. And I would just, sometimes I don't say anything. Sometimes I just smile. And I know they're probably thinking, oh, they're, they're laughing at me. Mm -hmm. The other times I'll just walk up and say, been there. Yeah. Right? And it's just that moment saying, okay, she gets it. It's, yeah. it's not just me that this happens to, because in that moment, you totally feel like, oh my gosh, this is happening to me, not for me. No. <laughs> right? Oh. Yeah. But what a great story. Even that, I mean, to even look at that as a opportunity for a story. Mm -hmm. If you are in the grocery store and your two-year-old is breaking down, what if you could look at that as a story in the making? What if you were in the moment and you could say, I can treat this moment with embarrassment and tell my, my child to be quiet and simmer down and stop it or you're going to get in trouble. Or I can treat this with absolute love, absolute compassion and, and hold them and give them that patience that they need and radiate that love to everyone around me. So it becomes a story that when everyone else sees what, how I've responded, they can go home and tell their significant other, I saw the most loving moment. Yeah. So that in itself could be a story. Yeah. And one of the things when you, when you talk about story, and I, I know I bring this up whenever I talk about storytelling with people, is The Alchemist. Mm. That's one of the books that really draws me into story um, because there's a part in the book that talks about how your legacy lives on for generations to come. And the words that you put on paper or the words that you speak, they ripple to people around them and it, they last for generations. And I think if people started paying attention to the power of their words, they would realize that it does ripple to other generations. And we can use ourselves as examples that when we've been taught by our parents, they were taught whatever they 
beliefs that they hang on to from their parents. So these words have rippled through generation. So there is truth in someday you're going to sound just like your mother. Right? <laughs> so they, it's rippled through generations, but not only that in the books that we read, when I think of Think and Grow Rich, how many generations has that mm. book been through? Decades, mm. right? Um, and hearing people, even with Robert Kiyosaki's book, even though it's a very still, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, a fairly new book, but it still is impacting generations, de different decades, and different groups of people who have still referred to that book as one of their most prized books. Yes, yes. And, and the generational effect, if I can share, when you share your story, it can go up and down the lineage. And let me explain what I mean by that. When I knew I was going to come out and share my pit story, which is about overcoming addiction, one of my main concerns was I was afraid for my mom and dad to hear it mm. because I didn't want them to feel like they did anything wrong. I right. didn't want them to feel like they had failed as parents. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I did before I knew I was going to be sharing it on podcasts and, you know, online everywhere and in the written form as well, I made sure that I told my parents, this is yeah. what I'm going to be sharing with the world. And I want you to know that you are the best parent. I want you to know that this was just my journey. I believe that I was destined to have this experience so that I could share it with others how to get out of it. Right. The second thing that I did is I made sure that I was sharing it with my daughter because in my personal story, my hero that helped me quit drugs was my daughter when she was three years old. Wow. So I didn't share with her, of course, when she was three or four or five, but as she got older, I let her know that she was the one because of her, I was able to quit and I had her come with me. It was probably about last summer to be my photographer. She's 17 years old now. And I had her come with me to an event where I was speaking on stage and I was sharing my story. Now she knew my story, yeah. but she'd never seen me deliver it on stage. And I asked her to go back and just take some pictures for me, simple pictures. And I stood there and shared my story. And I shared the moment that when I came home after a weekend of various drugs, and I walked in and I saw my little blonde hair, blue eyed ball of sunshine sitting there. And she asked me to play with her. And then later, a few minutes later, when I realized that she had gone into my room and when I walked in, she was sitting in the middle of the, of the floor and she was holding my drugs. She was three years old. And that was the moment that I knew that I needed to quit. Mm -hmm. And I shared that on stage. And then after, of course, I followed my story formula and shared some of the lessons and the learnings. Yeah. And there was a moment where she started to walk towards me and she was no longer taking pictures. And she came up to the side and I made eye contact with her and we were kind of winding down the talk. And she came up to me and she just said, she had like tears in her eyes and she's just like, mom, I, I'm, I know the story, but I've never heard you tell the story. And I'm just so proud of you. And she ran up on stage and hugged me and we weren't done yet. Like, like the talk was still happening. Yeah. And I paused and I hugged her. And I mean, it was just such a healing moment for the two of us, for mm -hmm. me to 
appreciate her publicly, for her to recognize my vulnerability and my strength and the power of doing it in front of a live audience. Deborah, there wasn't a dry eye in the whole place. Yeah. And they were witnessing a deeper level, like a healing in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that night, you know, after we drove home together, she was like, wow. It was almost like she gained more value for herself. She wasn't in, I didn't feel like she was in awe of me. Yes. I felt like she was in awe of her own significance, her own importance in my life. And I know that that story will stay with her that moment for the rest of her life. Yeah. And I know it's going to stay with our listeners and our viewers because it is a powerful story. I know you shared it with me when we got first met and here I am already choking up again, even though I'm hearing it a second time. And I think that's something people need to hear is that even though you might speak to have audience members who may have heard you before, the impact may not change. It may be that they hear a different part of your story that they didn't hear before because before they were thinking about what's for dinner and they're looking at their phone or whatnot. And this time, some certain moment was supposed to hit them yeah, and really be powerful. So it's just like when they say you should read a book six times because mm-hmm. every single time you are going to take away something totally different. So I, yeah. I just took away something totally different than when we first met. Thank you. Very, very powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. So I I know we're going to switch gears here um, because I want to touch on a little bit of the body language piece. And uh, I know that this is also a hot topic because we want (laughs) to understand, you know, I hear the phrase that the body doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about how you um, share and teach body language so that people are more perceptive, whether it be in their life, whether it be in a leadership position. Um, tell us a little bit more. Oh my gosh. So body language is really fun. And, and you know, I have different parts of my personality. Storytelling is where I get to go deep and have compassion and really get to be heart and then body language is like, okay, let's just flirt and play and have fun and just express ourselves and watch everybody else express themselves too. And like you said, the body doesn't lie. I like to say the body is talking 100% of the time, like 100% of the time. And so if I can share with you a couple things that you can do to kind of tune in, because there's two things that are happening. One, there's encoding and two, there's decoding. Encoding is when your own body is sending out signals, is is sending out and communicating. Decoding is when we're reading everybody else's body language and we're kind of decoding what does this mean and what does that mean and what does this mean? So there's two things kind of happening simultaneously. And the real fun is when you can be in the moment of both. And it's kind of a dance, so to speak. So, oh my gosh, where should we start? There's so many different places we could start. Um, Well, first let's say this. When we first walk into a room, let's say it's a networking meeting, and you scan the room and you see people, your brain is making snap judgments like that. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, they say it could be three-tenths of a second. You are deciding two things. Your brain is looking at people and you are deciding how attractive they are and how much you trust them. Those two things. And it's totally unconscious. Yeah. You, you, you actually can't not do it. You just walk in and, and you say, oh, I'm kind of drawn to that person. That's an attraction. 
And then you think, oh, I'm kind of repelled by that person. That's, <laughs> that's not so much. <laughs> and it could be because you, there's something about them you don't trust, or it could be just something, oh, you can't quite put your finger on it. And that comes from our reptilian brain. So a lot of body language and the things that were pulled towards or moved away from relate to the reptilian brain, the oldest part of our brain, where our brain is deciding when we meet someone, let's say it's like the old caveman days, and we're meeting someone out in the forest and we come across another caveman and we have to decide very quickly, are you friend or foe, right? Um, are we mates or are you food? Mm. It's kind of the Fs, friend, foe, that other F and food. <laughs> So that's what we're deciding so quickly. And that's really ingrained in us. So we walk into a room. Here's some things that you can do to really show that body language of leadership. So sometimes there's body language of leadership. There's the body language of influence. There's body language of flirting. But to make it really simple, there's certain things that leaders do. Can I share with you some oh, of those absolutely. things? All right. I'm all leaning in here. <laughs> okay. And that's a sign actually that leaning in is a positive sign of engagement. So when you were talking about being on stage, for example, mm -hmm. and wanting to know if your audience was really with you, if they're leaning in, if we're moving our core, our ventral positioning, our ventral orientation, which is the part of you that's your core, whatever direction that is facing, that is something that you want more of generally. Mm -hmm. And leaders, we find that they tend to do a couple things that are really specific. One, they take up more space vertically and horizontally. Mm. So they tend to stand a little taller, chin maybe a little higher, shoulders back a little further. And if they stand, their legs may be a little bit wider apart versus very narrow and together or crossed. There's this thing you'll kind of see in some of the fashion magazines where uh, actresses will kind of cross their legs as they're standing on the red carpet. So that is more of an inferior position. Mm. And a leader will actually take a wider stance because again, it goes back to our caveman days where we're saying, this is my territory. Yes. You may know someone that when you go into, for example, a networking meeting or something, that their person one seat, their coat in another seat, and a book on another seat because they want that space. And they might be claiming it for friends or something like that. So they're in a leadership position. They're saying, I'm going to make sure my tribe is taken care of. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that leaders do. They take care of their tribe. So they're marking out that space, so to speak. Leaders also tend to do something with their eyes. They tend to look more when they're speaking to someone and actually look away a little bit more when they're listening. Mm -hmm. And we think that that's because obviously they're watching the connection when they're making sure that they're making their point, but perhaps they're scanning the room because they're a leader and they're watching you know, is everything okay? Maybe they're in a position of security. If you think of a security guard, they're not just watching the people at the door, they're scanning the whole room. So there's different types of leadership or alphaism. You could be the leader of intelligence. You could be a leader of your physicality if you're very strong, leadership of security. So there's different types of leader, but they tend to look more when they're speaking and look less when they're being spoken to. And they're and, still paying attention. And they're still paying attention. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes parents will do this. You can think of parents kind of like they're going, uh-huh, 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 while they're doing other things. Yes. So 
So that's a, so that's one of the things. Um, and leaders tend to also, there's kind of a few other things like with leaders, they tend to laugh a little bit less. Mm -hmm. So it's something that women want to watch out. Sometimes women, when we're in groups and we're connecting, if someone says something funny, we kind of, <laughs> we all laugh. Yeah. And so leaders tend to laugh a little bit less than those that are in a subordinate position. So that's, mm -hmm, that's something for women to watch out for. More observant or what is the reasoning behind that? So laughing is seen as a side of compliance. So if someone says something funny, for example, and, and they're in a leadership position, then you'll laugh at the joke to make like, okay, I'm on your side. I'm with you. I'm in alignment with you. If you are opposing them and you don't think it's funny, then you may not laugh. You don't feel inclined to laugh. Mm -hmm. So you're taking maybe an equal position or a slightly superior position if you are not in agreement. But particularly <laughs> women. I'm just thinking of my children. What do they do? Um, they make a sar sarcastic comment and I'm just not on board with it. I'm just nodding. They're like, mom, it is funny. And I'm like, um, <laughs> and that, you know, and it yeah. can be whether you're in a leadership position or you're a parent and you're listening to your kid, I'm like, uh, I, I don't see what you're laughing at. <laughs> Yeah. And that's true. So you could be the leader of your household. You can be in a moment where you're leading the head of your household. You're leading a club. You're leading um, even a fun type of group. So there's different degrees of leadership in different contexts, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I have a little game we can play if you want to with the questions. Okay. Can okay. we do that? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So if you are listening or watching this, I'm going to ask Deborah, five questions of kind of alpha body language and leadership and some influence stuff. And then I'm going to give her some multiple choice answers and <laughs> you're going to do great. You're going to do great. It's going to be fun. Okay. Ready? Oh, I, know so, I, will. I know you will too. And if you're listening, yeah, I, it'll be fun. <laughs> and if you're listening, see what your answers are, see if they match. Okay. 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 So who do you think is better at reading body language, men or women? Women. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Yay. <laughs> Women are better at reading body language. And here's what they found. There was a little science practice that, what's it called? A little test that was done. And they took a group of women and a group of men, had them read body language, had some electrodes connected to their brains. And what they found is when men are watching and decoding body language, eight parts of their brain approximately are lighting up. However, when women are decoding body language, 15 areas of their brain are lighting up twice as much activity, twice as much analyzing, twice as much decoding. Women are picking up on far more nuances and subtleties than men are. So what I say to my clients is, for the women, if you go out to dinner and you see a woman is like flirting with your man or making eye contact with him, and he says, I didn't see it, he really didn't see it. Like he's probably clueless. But when a woman is flirting with another guy, every woman in the room knows it. Don't you think that's true? Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the men don't, but the woman's like, oh yeah, she's marketing. She likes you. We all know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Number two, right. in a group of people talking, what body part points to the alpha? Is it the eyes? Is it the heart? Or is it the feet? The feet. 
Yes. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. How did you know that? The reason I know that because I've learned that if your feet are pointing out, you're wanting to exit. So if yes. I'm liking someone or I want to have that conversation, I want to stay connected and in alignment with them. That's right. And it all comes down to- nothing to do with you going like this. <laughs> I'm giving her tips. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> um, yeah, but it all goes back to, again, that reptilian brain because ultimate rapport, what is absolute ultimate rapport, but two people like this. Mm-hmm. right? In that mating position. So it's about ventral orientation. And so two people out of rapport are back to back and don't have proximity. They're very far. Two people that are going closer and closer and closer to rapport or like this, or even side by side can be very close as well. So you're absolutely right. Feet and the feet show our unconscious thoughts. So if you're having a conversation with someone and if you happen to look down, and I suggest you do to know whether you have their full attention, if both feet are pointed at them and they're both feet are pointed at you, you have their complete attention. If one foot is pointed at you and one foot is out, then half of them wants to get out of the conversation or something in that other direction has their attention and you have half of their attention. So it's kind of divided. Okay. Before you ask me the next question, I do have one for you. Okay. So what if people are standing side by side here? They're like, oh, let's take a picture together. What should we be paying attention to when we look at the picture after for people mm. who maybe gone on a date and they mm. have got this picture and they're like, I wonder if he's into me or I wonder if we look strong as a leader. So what is the positioning? They yeah. take a picture together. What does their stance together, uh, proximity, their feet? Yes. What would you say is their connection when you can look at the picture after? I know in yes. conversation, we're looking that we're kind of, kind of in a circle, mm-hmm. right? And seeing where the feet are. But when you're looking at a picture, what can people tell from a picture? I would look for a lean. So if someone is leaning in towards someone else or leaning slightly away, I would look for that. That's a, that's a proximity. They're closing the gap. They're getting closer to that person or they're wanting a little more space. I would also look for the heart, like where are they putting their heart and that ventral orientation, their stomach, where, what direction are those pointing? Are they facing toward each other? Mm -hmm. Even just a little bit, even just like the hips or something, just a little bit. And then I will also look for the head. So that where you put your head can be an indication of really feeling secure, like, like, mm, like more of an intimate relationship, like, you know, a child and their, and their, their parent, you know, or two women, for example, that are really close and best friends, they might put their arms around each other and then go head to head. So you're, you generally don't put your head on someone that you don't feel really close to. Right. And then of course you can look for hands and feet. So, but overall you want to look for a cluster, mm-hmm. a cluster of moves. So you're looking for several indicators, not just one. So if someone, for example, in the picture is cold, they might have closed body language and they're holding themselves, but they're not really wanting to be closed off. They're just cold. It's cold in the room, but you can't see that in a picture. Mm -hmm. So I would look for a cluster of body language signals, a head tilt, heart and ventral orientation, proximity, a lean. The lean is the first thing that I look for. And then of course, feet. Are the feet pointed in? Are the feet pointed out? 
So those, that one, little cluster. So let's say one person is standing with one foot straight in, but the other foot is kind of leaning out. Mm-hmm. And then the person beside them is totally in. What would you say to me if you saw that picture? Do you have this picture? Is this yeah, a well, picture you have in mind? Okay. I think I've seen one. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what their connection is really. Yeah. So at that moment, and sometimes people can just be in a moment. So you have to give the grace that huh. in that moment, one person is leaning in and they're really into that moment. They want to press into that person. Yeah. And at least for that moment, that person has one foot. Yeah, I'm into this picture. And one foot, uh, no, I want to go in that other direction. Yeah. So that's just a moment. Remember, pictures yeah. are a moment captured in time, right. just that moment. And, and I think that's why it's so important to pay attention when you talked about being in current conversation so, so that it's more than just a moment. It's a collection of moments that you can tell and pick up on that receptivity yes. of people over the time of the conversation. And it's really, and it's really a rapport you can gain more rapport too if you are in a group and you're speaking to someone about something that you feel is really important and you really feel like half their attention is going in a different direction. Mm -hmm. You can simply say, do you need to take a moment and go address something? Like maybe it's legitimate. Like maybe they're, maybe they're waiting for, yeah, they've got something else on their mind. And the fact that you're catching it and you're saying something instead of continuing the conversation, it really shows that you are being in the present moment and you're kind and you're courteous and, and you're really saying something that will help them. And then you, they may say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah. I just need to handle this thing really quick. And then you'll come back and have my full attention. Okay, so what do the eyes? Oh no, you've got some more questions. I do, I do. Let's have. I have a couple more. Let's go back to your questions. Mm, Okay, I won't forget the eyes because I have two fun things for the eyes. So let's make sure we get to that too. Okay, so in a conversation, let's say it's a group of people. What does the alpha influence? Alpha man or woman? Is it the topic of the conversation? The pace of the conversation, like when it ends, when to laugh, or all the above? Hmm. All of the above. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this one I took the cue. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You got it right. All of the above. Whoever is the lead in the group, it is natural. It is organic. We can feel it. We want to follow someone who has that certainty, that leadership, and we naturally all fall in line. Now, there are rare occasions when you have two people that are vying for that alpha position especially two women, for example. And what happens when you have two strong alpha women in a conversation, you will get confrontation. Mm, That's That's when, mm -hmm, because they're both jockeying for that position. Men tend to not be as obvious, for example, when they're jockeying for a position, but with women, we can see it, we can feel it. Yeah. But the alpha will influence all of it. We'll laugh when they laugh. We'll toss our hair. We'll do some kind of uh, thing with our hands. If they're doing it, we'll match and mirror them. Yeah. Okay. Number four, which of the following statements is true? A woman can have varying degrees of alphaism in different situations or is she just the alpha all the time? If she's the alpha, she's the alpha all the time. Or is it varying degrees? Varying degrees. Ding, ding, ding. You got it right. <laughs> You're so good at reading my body language. <laughs> I'm paying attention. 
Those nods are helpful. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. A woman can, more so than men, a woman can have really extreme degrees of alphaism. She may want to be the total alpha at home, has it all taken care of, the way everything should be, what you should eat, when to eat, how the house should be. But at work, she's chill. Or it can be the reverse as well. So we see that more so with women. Okay, number five. All this right. is one of my favorite ones. Does the modern alpha, man or woman, embrace their faults or hide them? Do they embrace their faults or hide them? They embrace them. That's right. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You got it right. So this is called the pratfall effect. And it's such a really interesting thing. They, scientists took two groups of people. And they hired actresses and they said, okay, to the both actresses, we want you to demonstrate some like juicer, right? So two actresses are demonstrating juicers. One of them, they said, do everything just right. Do it perfectly. Make the best juice you can. Say all your lines right. And to the second, they said, spill the juice, do it kind of wrong, mess things up. And then at the end, they took a report and asked the audience who scored the highest on likability, relatability, and who would you buy from? And would you believe who the audience said they actually preferred? The spillers. That's right. And the reason why is because they said they're more honest, they're more relatable. Mm-hmm. And we, find, we feel like if someone can embrace their own faults, they can probably embrace ours which I'm going to circle back right now, which is why telling your story, revealing your vulnerability and your credibility is so powerful because you're, you're inducing that pratfall effect where right. people feel like, gosh, if you can go there, I can go there too. If you can forgive yourself, you can probably have some grace for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then eye contact. Yes. Okay, so that's I it for the game. The you passed the test. <laughs> you are a body language wizard. It's official. <laughs> so the two cool things that you can do to watch eyes. These are my favorites. One of them is called the unconscious hello. Mm. And the other is a pupil dilation. So one of them you can see from across the room, like in business or a networking meeting right. or a date, like if you walk into a room and like I see see you. Yes. The unconscious hello is a raising of the eyebrows. We open our eyebrows just for a fraction of a second because we like what we see and it's unconscious and we don't even know we're doing it. And oftentimes we can't stop ourselves from doing it when we see something we really like. And it's just a quick eyebrow, eyebrow flash. It just goes up and down just really fast. And my favorite place to play this game is the grocery store. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You just raised your eyebrows right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Give away. There you go. So one of my favorite places is Trader Joe's or kind of a, any other holistic or kind of high vibe grocery store. I like to check and see how on I am that day. I like to go around and count how many eyebrow flashes I get. And the reason why is because you tend to be in close proximity, like you pass each other in the aisle, or you have to say, oh, pardon me, I'm trying to reach for the gluten-free, whatever, whatever. So there's oftentimes a quick uh, eye contact that you make. You kind of look at each other, say hello, or then look away. So on the days I'm really on, I might get as many as six or seven or 10 eyebrow flashes is that my energy or whatever is a little lower, I may have only one or two or none even. Mm -hmm. So the grocery store is a really fun place to check for the eyebrow flash. And it even happens with your kids, with your family members, 
with your husband, with your wife. So you can always check a quick mood by checking for an eyebrow flash. And you can even do it with someone you're just meeting for the first time. Really powerful in business. So if you want to know, if you have a great first impression, when you go in, instead of so much focusing on the handshake, yes. watch for the eyebrow flash. And as you get closer, so here's the second one. As you get closer in proximity, if you're close enough and you can see the eyes dilate, so the pupils become larger, mm -hmm. very easy to see in someone with light eyes, like blue or green, much harder to see in someone with brown eyes. But if you can get close enough, it's completely uncontrollable. When we go into an intense pleasure state, our pupils become larger. And that happens when we fall in love. It happens when oxytocin is flowing. It happens probably when we eat chocolate <laughs> or whatever is your favorite food. So if you're on a date and you're getting kind of close and you want to know if you should go in for that kiss, you're going to look for those pupils to get larger. In fact, there have even been times in history where women have taken little herbs and tinctures and put little tinctures in their eyes to make their eyes dilate. And no. become, yes, and become larger because it was thought that the larger your pupils, the more love you're feeling and it makes you more attractive to a suitor. Very interesting. I learned so much from our interview. <laughs> um, I, we could talk for hours, but I know we have to wrap things up. So yeah. I have two questions for you. Mm. And one is, what is the most profound book that has impacted your life? Mm. Gosh, there's so many. Oh my goodness. Um, wow. Is it, is it cliche to say the Bible? Is that a little cliche? No, that would, that would be one of them. Yeah. And the reason why is because there are times when I can have a question in my life, need support and literally just open it up to any page, draw my finger down on a page and there's the answer. So time and time again, that happens for me. So that is probably one of the most profound books really in my life. And is there a second question? Yes. What does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? Hmm. To me, gosh, to me, it means a couple of things. One, to know that my prayers are heard and my desires will be fulfilled because desires of the heart, desire means of the father. So I believe that my desires of my heart are put there from the above. And they will manifest into reality. And that's right. <laughs> and then the, the second thing to live richly is to, is to really continue to learn and continue to contribute and give. I, I don't think I would, I could think I could have everything in desires of my heart, but if I wasn't giving and if I wasn't making a difference for someone else, ultimately, I wouldn't feel fulfilled. That is rich, living truly richly. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much Thank for you. sharing. And Holly, it's not a question, but this is your opportunity to mm -hmm. let everyone know how they can stay in contact with you, learning about storytelling, working with you, um, 
also about maybe more body language stuff. Yeah. Let everybody know how they can stay connected with you. Yes, please. I would love to support you on your storytelling journey, on your body language journey, on your speaking journey. So there's one of two ways or both. <laughs> um, the first is I have a free gift for your audience. If you would like to get my 15 hottest hand gestures that you can use on stage. And by the way, all of life is a stage. So you would go to my name, which is Holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y, Minyosi, which is M-I-G-N-O-S-I, forward slash hot 15. You'll get the checkoff list. So you, you can kind of place that against any kind of talk that you have or a story that you want to go on stage and share. And you can use some of those body language and hand gestures to really spice up your talks so that you're very captivating. And then secondly, I would love if anyone is interested to meet me in my Facebook group. Um, right now it's leading six figure speakers. I may be changing the name very shortly here to shine on stage, but either of those will work. Leading six figure speakers. You can find hours of binge content on storytelling, charismatic communication, body language, and I'm in there all the time. So I'm happy to help you and answer your questions. Well, it was such an honor to have you on the show, connect with you again, do the quiz. Yeah. Put it in the hot spot. I love it. <laughs> great. Thank you so, so much. I am grateful. I am so grateful. Thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. And thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. You are brilliant with what you do. And I just, I can't wait to see more. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks so much. So I, thank you everyone for listening to us and our fun and gestures. You'll have to go on YouTube to actually experience the hand movements and the tips and, you know, you'll, you'll catch <laughs> us in action. So it's a phenomenal interview. So if you listen on iTunes and you want to, you know, cook supper with YouTube on, you'll get to see all of that. So we'd love for you to go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com where you can download um, by putting in your email, you get a free three video series, Making Habits Stick um, course, mini course that is going to help you create discipline and consistency in your life to get some of those goals into reality. So you're going to want to go download that. But most of all, Go over to my podcast, The Millionaire Woman Show, rate, review, give a five-star high five. And I know that you will love this episode with Holly and making sure that you send us feedback so that we can, you know, juice it up some more, um, add some content. What else would you like to see and what has most impacted you? And sharing it, of course, with your family, friends, and colleagues so that they can be better at storytelling. They can be better at reading that body language. So they're not making some of those mistakes. And most of all, we're grateful just for you being here. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And my wish on behalf of Holly and myself, go out and make today great. <laughs>